This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where today we are going to delve into the world of visionary architects and designers shaping our built environment. I'm your host, co-founder and publisher of the Registry, Vladimir Bosanets. And in today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with the esteemed Jim Graham, co-founder of Graham Baba Architects. With a portfolio that reflects a deep commitment to community engagement, sustainability, and cutting-edge design, Jim and his firm have left an indelible mark on the architectural landscape. Join us as we explore the creative journey, inspirations, and transformative projects that define Jim Graham's illustrious career. Whether you're an architect, design enthusiast, or simply curious about the forces shaping our urban spaces, this conversation promises to inspire and enlighten. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Jim, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, Vladimir. Where do we find you today? I'm sitting in my office in uh, Seattle, Washington, right on Capitol Hill. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Jim, by um, way of introduction, uh, would you mind telling us a little, a little bit about you, uh, you know, your firm, and you know how you got to where you are today, effectively? And, and whether that's by car or whether that's by your, you know, career, <laughs> um, I'll take both of those answers. Yeah, so uh, um, Jim Graham, I'm an architect. I have a firm called Graham Baba Architects. Uh, we're up, right up on Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. Um, the firm itself has been around for about 17 years. Um, had history working in the city uh, prior to that, both on a firm by myself and uh, with a, another firm when I first arrived to Seattle way back in 1993. Uh, from the Midwest. Uh, and it's really been organic growth over the past 17 years. And now we're at about 40 people on our total staff. Okay. And tell us a little bit about what the firm does and sort of your, uh, you know, typical, if there is a typical project or the, you know, kind of work that you usually uh, like to do. Uh, well, I, I think I see our firm and we're, we're known to be a little bit of a unicorn in the sense that we do a wide swath of typologies. Uh, be it high-end residential, uh, residential of any any sort of scale, not a lot of multifamily, but we have done some. Um, and then a lot of um, people space, we'll call it, whether it's food bev, whether it's event space, whether it's um, uh, part of greater market projects. Uh, and the foundation for that really came uh, with adaptive reuse of older buildings. Um, and so if you want to think about some early projects that were sort of pivotal in our history, uh, I go back sort of pre-downturn in 08, working on um, Melrose Market up here on Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, Melrose Market was a collection of old auto row buildings. We uh, were working with the developer that was repurposing them into um, space release, tenant space. And uh, we um, uh, had at the same time an old building over in Ballard called the Coal Strand Building. Same sort of thing. It was a development project to... Uh, Reuse an old building, turn it into more of a people space, food, bev, uh, retail, and office. And they were happening simultaneously. And then the downturn hit, uh, and which was great for us in the sense that these projects were already going. But as we're standing close to the net, uh, we be quickly became uh, integral to doing the, all the TIs. So we set out building uh, projects for the uh, owner on adaptively, re adaptively reusing old buildings. Um, but it grew into many projects for us. And those two projects, I think, uh, allowed us to springboard out of the downturn into um, being known as uh, restaurant, bar, retail, um, uh, 
typology as well as um, old adaptive reuse buildings. Yeah, and if you don't mind me asking, which which downturn? We're not obviously talking about. We're talking about recent. 08. We're talking about way back there. So yeah, this was right. the Great Recession, and uh, uh, it was tough times. We were an infant firm, um, but we re- remained nimble, uh, and you know that more was springboard into other uh, food bev and adaptive reuse projects as well as a youth hostel. Uh, it was an old right. building and repurposing that into a hostel. So, yeah, early days there, it was um, started with old buildings and it went into really the, the build-outs of the people space uh, housed within. Yeah. What's interesting is, is that is that an area that, you know, drew you to architecture? Did, did you just sort of kind of, you know, get into that space by by accident? What What is the sort of genesis of kind of that, um, you know, activity in, in that specific area? Well, I think for me personally, it was uh, always a love of old buildings and uh, the funkier the building, the better. Uh, as a building is, you know, adaptively reused uh, and repurposed into something else, it needs a user. It needs a function. Uh, you know, it's not just the old building and often they come from uses like industrial buildings or warehouse buildings or auto garages. Um, they make really cool volumes and uh, built at a scale that you might not do if you were going to start from scratch and build a little retail shop or a restaurant. So the genesis was really loving old buildings. And that was way back even before I went to architecture school. Um, and then it's been the foundation for some of the typologies that the firm has worked on. Yeah. Do some of the old uses inspire you as well? So you talked about, you know, car shops and other kind of things that you sort of think about what used to be done here and how it can be now something else is being done in this space. (laughs) Absolutely. Because I think, you know, as we become stewards of old buildings, uh, telling the history of what it was, uh, you know, most successfully in a subtle, not too overt way uh, that can be done by reusing old pieces and parts or materials from those buildings uh, and rethinking how that might be reinserted into a new use. Um, so, and, and that, that sense of place that you get when you transform it from one old use into a new use with the history or the story of the building, uh, participating in that experience, uh, that makes a really rich environment. Yeah. Do you think of yourself that way, uh, as sort of a steward of sustainability as well or, or, uh, or not necessarily? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at, n- not overtly with the sustainability is leading it. But uh, there is no more sustainable uh, effort than reusing what we've already built, not building more. Uh, you know, you can get into the details of the embodied energy or carbon within an existing structure uh, and even just the materials uh, and disturbing new land. Uh, and so from a sustainability angle, absolutely, we love that. But is it leading why we do it? No. Uh, it's supportive of, I think, in my mind, that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, as you think of some of these maybe early or you know seminal projects that kind of define the work that you know you guys do, what what would be some of the projects you would you would highlight and um, well, those two uh, are interesting really because of. yeah, the the Colson project and the uh, Melrose Market were early, early, and they they springboarded us into um, other projects that uh, led to different typologies. The Pibus Market over in Wenatchee was uh, repurposing an old building. But it was truly into more of that market space. And um, from there, it was really, they found us because of Melrose Market, which is embedded into the Melrose Project. And that that alone was an economic response to the downturn. We had this 5,500 square foot space that we thought for sure a big restaurant would want. 
But in 09, 10, no one wanted to sign up for a lease that big. So to part it out into small tenant spaces that there could be a convivial occupation with individual tenants that all had the same uh, ethos about food and retail, um, that led to markets. Pibus was a successful one that led to more markets. And then before we knew it, we were doing markets around the country. Um, and you know that market activation of, say, the, the ground floor of buildings led to a lot of larger projects wanting us to be involved uh, and participate at that ground floor. It's sort of the nexus of the public space and the private space. Um, but it's all about supporting um, activity of people. Um, and not just commercialization of that, not just uh, retail food bev, but just uh, civic space. Right. And, and so that was, a, a, I think, a seminal breakout for us working on larger projects at larger scale always participating on a greater team with uh, other firms uh, around town or, or elsewhere. Um, and it's been a, a mainstay of sort of the firm's uh, typology, one of the typologies that we we uh, are known for and focus on, uh, and at least me personally really enjoy because it, it affects a greater area than um, we might be able to operate in uh, as just our own firm. And that sort of culminates in our work at the uh, convention center, the new uh, Seattle uh, convention center, the summit expansion, and the ability to participate in that, that at that scale, but it's really where the city uh, meets the convention use, um, the opportunities for retail around the perimeter um, that can make it an authentic Seattle experience for those uh, convention goers that come to the city to experience Seattle, but also uh, an experience that Seattleites want to participate in as well. And that yeah. makes it a, a real blending uh, opportunity for uh, visitors and locals to mix. Yeah, tell us about that because from the outside, it's a uh, you know for those of us who live in this region and who have you know visited the convention center, it's a it's a big box in the middle of the city <laughs> in many ways. It's nicely designed. It's at an angle. It has some very pretty views of the of the of the of the sound. Um, but I am curious, you know, what what was the extent of the work that that you had done in there and sort of how. How did it drive uh, drive your organization? Well, it, it was a great uh, collaborative effort with um, LMN leading the the project. Um, local firm we've done some um, really successful work with. Ours was really to make it an authentic Seattle experience. And so we saw it as a blending of if you come up from the market uh, in the Pike Pine Corridor and you come down from Capitol Hill and, and how do those mix? Uh, and you think about first and foremost, the Seattleites that are you know living on the hill and they're walking down to the market, um, and then you could take the opposite of those that come to visit the city. They're at the market and they come up the hill, and this sits almost right between them. At uh, where I five is you know fractured the city, uh, it also was filling in a missing tooth. So it wasn't disturbing uh, native land outside of the city. It's right downtown. It's vertical in its stack so that it can use. Um, uh, a smaller footprint than many convention centers that sprawl. Um, and where it hits the city, uh, where there was opportunity to use that space, not for convention function, but for uh, an integration of the sidewalk, civic, uh, pedestrian um, world, uh, we were involved in trying to knit those together. Yeah. Um, have you had an opportunity to work outside of the region also? Yes, we've we've done a lot of projects uh, elsewhere. Uh, some of those are residential, uh, others are commercial. Um, you know, as far as 
DC and up into um, Boston, down in Texas. Um, uh, we're currently doing a couple in California. It's it, it's nice to be able to spread some of the uh, the ideas that we have from the Pacific Northwest, um, particularly in the urban environment, uh, into other cities in the country. Yeah, and what are what are some of those ideas? I think it's just a way that the 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 um, the blending of the upper uses in the building uh, can um, create an energy for uh, the streetscape that may not be just for those that use the building, but those around. I think it, to make create successful participants in a civic landscape uh, is a responsibility of, of architects. You know, it's it's not about your building and only your building, but it's how it meets the city and how it interfaces uh, with the public realm. What's interesting, Jim, as I um, hear you describe your work and the uh, projects that you guys have done, um, you know, one of the obvious kind of things is that you know over the last few years we've gone through you know, quite a readjustment in terms of, you know, work and how we do work and what we do and how we interact with space and buildings and workspace, right? Um, uh, you know, how how has that all been affected? You know, um, has it changed your thinking on this? Uh, has it evolved your sort of way of, you know, how you, how you design, how you interact with the space? Um, tell us a little bit about that, and we'll go into some more detail about sort of overall the transformation that has been for the firm. But I'm just sort of curious on on this particular aspect of it, just just in terms of sort of you know in this this you know how people interact right with with space and and if it's if it's really really new now. I, I think it's an interesting question because the way you ask it is has it changed the way we work or how we think about it? Um, I would say. No, and uh, it probably has reinforced some of it, and it's provided s some opportunities for us to further push on that. I mean, let's take, for example, uh, just the restaurant industry and the notion of outdoor seating and how we embrace the public space. Uh, the pandemic has really enforced uh, the fact that we can be outside, um, and we can treat the cityscape, the sidewalk, even parking as not just owned by cars. And we can activate the sidewalk to um, be an experience for those that are engaging in that building, but those around it, those that, uh, that aren't necessarily uh, using the building or uh, enjoying the environment proximate to um, the restaurant, we'll say. Uh, how it interfaces with office uh, and how that's turned on its head, we'll see. I know that that's been uh, a strong disruptor. Um, in many ways, it's been a challenge that we're not yet out of. It's like, do we need people? And we do we need a face-to-face? -face? Um, the initial was, hey, this remote thing's working pretty well. Um, but I'm not sure that that's the right answer. And so um, creating space for people to gather and sort of celebrate life, whether it's live, work, play, uh, is at the heart of what we do. Um, and it challenged certainly the environments or the experiences that that uh, we have done prior to the pandemic. But coming out of it, I think that there's an opportunity to reinforce uh, and lean into those as really what makes a civic environment and a city sing. Yeah. yeah. So I look forward to it, and I see it as an opportunity for um, growth in a challenging way. Um, but I don't see it as uh, something that has disrupted or changed it uh, and will take those opportunities away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you 
expanded north into Bellingham um, shortly before the pandemic. Uh, tell us about that thought process. And, and the reason I'm asking, one, is to learn about it, but also uh, to tie it into kind of um, what's that meant for your organization kind of over the last few years as well. I, I think the expansion in Bellingham was sort of a, a continue or a, a continuation of growth that we had had in the firm, uh, not only on where we worked. We've historically always worked in the smaller communities around the Pacific Northwest. It's not solely Seattle. Um, we've had a, a long uh, history working in Yakima, in Wenatchee, in Chelan, um, down in Vancouver, Washington, and and some projects up in Bellingham. And so those those outposts, uh, those smaller cities, uh, we really enjoy working in. It's a smaller environment, um, and the notion that singular projects can be uh, catalytic or transformative uh, is is really interesting for us. Um, the the ports around the the state uh, in their smaller communities have been a, a great partner for a lot of projects. The Bellingham move was uh, something that was not. Um, uh, it offered us an opportunity to work in a smaller community, but it, as a, an employer of people, it offered a smaller community uh, with which we could house uh, employees, given them an opportunity that they work with the firm, but they're not in Seattle. And I say that from an economic standpoint, it's powerful because uh, a lot of our staff's younger, as they were growing, they were starting families. Just buying a house in the city of Seattle becomes um, uh, a hurdle. Uh, and if they look outside the, the the Seattle proper, the housing prices go down. And so uh, we found that it was an outpost that could support um, lifestyle and cost of living uh, for our staff. Yes, it does provide uh, sort of a, an outpost for, say, the, the San Juan Islands. It's a little closer. Uh, we do projects all over, so that's not a limiting factor. But I think for what it does to establish yourselves as a firm in a, in a different community uh, where you're really a participant, you're not just visiting to do architecture. Uh, had a lot of meaning for us. So we look forward to um, expanding the Bellingham presence and really diving into the community. A lot of uh, what you described that motivated um, initially that you know move and giving the ability to some of your younger employees to you know own a home but still have a have a meaningful job um, motivated a lot of people during the pandemic to kind of move to smaller smaller markets and you know states that perhaps were were not um, you know primary sort of employment um, locations before 2020. Um, it, it, it seems like you uh, obviously you didn't know the pandemic was coming so this this was done sort of in the in a in a vacuum of that but sort of as a consequence of what we've learned over the last three years um has it been successful have do you do, do yes, you consider yourself lucky you know like wow that was great that we did that early on well we had had some remote employees um even part of the pandemic that and they became sort of how we worked uh, and it was more fluid. So when uh, the pandemic hit, it was easy to shift gears and allow everyone to work in that in that way. It, it's it's been good in that respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it been able? Ha, have you also been able to you know recruit uh, folks with with that opportunity um, to kind of, uh, we know, have. So to say we have. Know, here's, yeah, tell us tell yeah, us about sort of what what you've learned through that process. Um, well, I, I think it it broadens the pool of potential employees uh, and. Um, not that we have people shifting, but uh, it wouldn't preclude us from looking at that in the future. Yeah. Um, we, we see it as, as one office, two locations. 
it's not a separate office. Uh, people are in and out of both. Um, I think it's the, the leaning into a singular community is, is being a local firm um, with people that are, you know, leaders that are living there uh, and raising families is, is a strong yeah. uh, drive yeah. for us. So generally, if we can go back and kind of look at um, how the world has transformed since uh, the you know, start of 2020, um, everything has changed. And I'm curious, you know, what does that mean for you as an architect, for you as a firm, for not only, you know, psychologically, but what does it mean for you in terms of how you do your work? Um, uh, you know, tell us about that, you know, process and how that's helped evolve you guys. Well, it, it has changed. I mean, the, the notion of what a, what a meeting really means and, and do you need to be in person or not, um, it has broadened opportunities. I think it's also challenged opportunities. Uh, I think in the, in the creative uh, workplace, being in person at the same table, exchanging ideas um, in real time uh, together, uh, there's, there's not going to be uh, a replacement for that. It supports the opportunity to connect but it doesn't replace that opportunity um, to be physically present in the same space. Have you guys actually uh, changed certain processes or changed sort of the way you do things as a result of what we've learned over the last, you know, 36 months or so? Um, we have. And I think one thing that we all need to realize is um, we as humans are pretty nimble. We can make change. We can adapt to change. And, uh, too often we adapt to change that's put upon us instead of being proactive and making change in a positive manner. So, you know, it, it we pivoted so quickly, we as a, a world, uh, to in response to challenges with the pandemic. Doesn't mean we can't do that if we see a better way to do things on our own uh, and and respond in that same nimble manner. manner. We evolve and adapt pretty quick. Um, the notion that we shouldn't stop evolving and adapting uh should go to bad habits we picked up during the pandemic let's shed them as quick as they came yeah when you think of when you think of the pandemic what what comes to mind uh both on the maybe positive <laughs> and negative <laughs> side well I, for for me personally and I, I don't want to put this on everyone but that a remote meeting is a substitute for in-person meeting uh it's it, it's it shouldn't be a, a one-to-one trade you need to be conscious about you know, the currency with which you pay for the convenience uh, may be something that you're not recognizing. So just be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim, um, a, a lot has happened over the last maybe year or so. Um, I think what started off as a, as a disruption caused by the pandemic has now turned into, um, you know, somewhat of an economic calamity to a certain degree. Certain parts of the world are feeling it in very different ways. Um, I'm often asked to, you know, by, you know, folks who, who know that we, you know, cover the commercial real estate space, you know, what's happening in the industry, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. I'm curious, um, you know, what is going on in the, you know, world of architecture? You know, how, how has your world evolved, you know, over the last year or so? What are the impact, what are the impacts on what you do from what's happening with, I don't know, interest rates, what's happening with, you know, quiet quitting or whatever they want to call it, right? And, um, how all these things have, you know, are more people leaving the industry, um, are more coming in? Uh, what is the state of the, the uh, you know, affairs today? That's a great question, and I'm not sure that I have a simple answer for it. Um, 
we're seeing lots of changes. Uh, I think some of the, at least from my perspective, some of the um, the challenges we're having, um, whether it's you know we'll call it economic, that's a direct reflection on workload, is not about what's happening, but speculation about what might happen. And so there's there's a fear of where things can go, and so people are stopping projects or stop stopping uh, motion in a direction because they don't know if it's the right direction or not. Uh, this would be like office. Are we going to build more office because everybody went home and they're working remotely? What if everyone decides on a dime they want to come back? Now there's more people. Do we have enough seats? Um, but no, that's going to ha- not going to happen. I think uh, that there's a fluidity to how we do work, a hybridization that we we can lean into uh, as long as we know when working remote is appropriate and working together in the same environment is appropriate um they're all you know our job and my you know all day long is to take any kind of perceived liability and turn it into an asset and rethink how we're doing it uh rethink the approach to it now is it a problem or is it the potential for a, a positive solution um, so yeah, I, I I think it's the unknown that is uh, challenging us the most right now. What does that mean for architecture as an industry? Um, are you optimistic in terms of you know? Uh, and I'm not asking you specifically about you know your billings or what you think your revenue is going to be, but more generally in terms of um, you know. Uh, what is that going to do to you know jobs and architecture in general? You know, do you do you feel like there might be an exodus, like there wasn't a great well, you know, recession? Yeah. For instance, it, it, the answer is always yes, but just wait a few years. It, it's, it's cyclical in nature; always has been. I, I grew up in uh, a household of an architect. My father was an architect, and so these these cycles that map out, whether it's 10, 12, 15 years, uh, it always will occur. Um, we tend to be canaries in the coal mine. Uh, will we get through it? Yeah. And so, you know, again, change is opportunity for growth. Um, so uh, we've been on a long run uh, for the past while since, you know, 10, 12. Um, everyone's like, it's coming. Well, yeah, of course it is. Uh, how do you how do you ready yourself and how do you get through it? And is it an opportunity to uh, come back to doing it in a different way as opposed to trying to repeat what you were doing? Um, and that's, I mean, that's conceptually outside of the industry, but what does it mean for architects? I don't know. Um, yeah, there was a lack of um, graduates that you, you felt in the last one. We're feeling it now when we're looking for staff that's got 10 to 12, 15 years experience. Um, do they go to under other industries? Of course. Um, but they come back as clients. So uh, is it a challenge for the industry? No different than it always has been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, is the sky falling? Absolutely not. <laughs> Might look like it is, though. <laughs> right. Um, Jim, as we close our conversation here, I, I, I like to typically end it by uh, asking a couple of personal questions, you know, more along the lines of, uh, you know, some advice to your younger self or maybe advice to somebody entering the industry today. Um, I, I think our podcast is, uh, you know, focused on sort of the younger demographic and industry in general. And I'm, you know, always curious kind of, you know, what, what some advice uh, people I talk to would uh, give. Great question. Um, and, and, you know, advice to a younger self advice to, I mean, I'd, I'd love giving advice to younger um, 
whether it's uh, architects entering the profession or just college grads, I think um, the only thing worse than risk is fear of risk. You know, speculative fear is no way to live your life. It'll keep you from doing everything. Um, I don't mean be uh, risky, but taking a leap of faith to opportunity uh, is a powerful tool. Um, and so, you know, regardless of your profession, but, you know, architecture is one where there is an unknown, there is a leap of faith, and um, that goes down to individual projects uh, and creativity or running a firm uh, and participating in an in industry that, you know, has always had volatility and will always have. But, uh, you know, again, fear of risk is worse than risk, in my opinion. <laughs> Wonderful. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This was uh, very informative. I enjoyed it. Thank and, you, Vladimir. Uh, best of luck. Thanks. I appreciate it. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.